Lots of folks who often join us are not joining us this morning because they're over in the venue. Of course, this has been Chi Alpha weekend. And we debated whether we should try to get everyone from Chi Alpha over here. But when you look through the room, imagine adding 250 people into this room right now. That wouldn't allow us to keep the distance we're trying to make possible. And so we we reluctantly said, okay, we'll just do Chi Alpha over there. We don't like it because we don't want it to be segregated. We want to be able to participate in the last worship service of the high school students who are, who are part of that and junior high students, but not this year. So um, they're worshiping right now and they're, they're receiving a word from the Lord uh, as, as we are. So I'm just grateful for them and grateful for our whole youth ministry that's working with them and grateful for you. It's so good to see everyone joining together to worship God, to keep God central. It's so important. Ronnie mentioned that. It's so important in every day, but certainly in this day, that God remains central in our thoughts. I'm not unaware, you're not unaware of all sorts of things happening right now in our world that are disturbing. And don't even for a minute think that what's going on in Washington is the sum of it all. That's just symptomatic of so many things that are happening in our world, things that leave us, leave us distressed, things beyond political bickering, things beyond that. God created this world for what the Hebrews called mishpat, Justice, but by justice, they didn't mean just procedural justice, not just someone's rights. They meant a deep fairness where everyone had what they needed and everyone shared with one another, where righteousness prevailed, where the well-being of the community was secured. Mishpat was closely associated with shalom, peace, a deep well-being. And this is God's plan, God's purpose for the world, mishpat, justice, and peace. But that's not what we see, is it? Because as a matter of fact, though God created the world for that, God has given freedom and has allowed us to misuse it. Why? Well, that's, that's another question for a different sermon, but God has given us freedom. Now, he hasn't given us unlimited freedom, but he's given us the freedom to violate mishpat, to destroy shalom, and we see it all around us. God's given us that freedom within limits and for a time, but we're going to see in a few moments that God is not going to allow that to prevail, that state of things. He's not going to allow injustice to prevail forever. He's not going to allow people to be broken forever, to suffer forever, for people to be hungry, for people to be oppressed. He's not going to allow that forever. Why it's allowed at all, none of us really knows. But there is a day when God is going to put things right. We'll read about that in just a moment. Now, what we're doing, of course, is we're following the Bible study plan that our church has set out. Gosh, it's been over a year ago. We're going, working through the whole Bible. And right now, we're in 1 Samuel. And so, if you have the Bible reading journal 
Over the past week, you've been reflecting on the passage that we're going to read this morning. If you've gone to Life Group, you've already studied that passage with other believers. And if you were prepared for Life Group, having gone through the passage, you probably had something to share in the group. And so you're able to contribute and build up others in the body. And now we're going to go back to that passage yet again. I'm mentioning that because I want to encourage you to be part of what we're doing. We're studying the Bible in order to do the Bible. As a whole church, together, seeking to understand God's will and hold one another accountable to it. And you can be part of that. It's an important part of spiritual growth. Consistency is the key. It's not pouring out your heart in prayer what weeping before God, calling on him to work in your life one particular day. It's day by day by day coming before God in prayer, studying the word, reflecting on it, applying it to your life, studying it with other believers. That's what will change your life. And I want to encourage you to do it. Now, you might already have a Bible reading plan. You may already have a way you go about your devotions. And if you do, that's fantastic. I hope you keep doing it. But if you don't have a plan, I like the church's plan better. And I think you'd get more out of it. So I want to encourage you to be part of it. Make it a priority. Would you do that? So last week, we were following that plan, and we saw how Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was blessed by God with the birth of Samuel. She was barren. It wasn't expected that she could have a child at all, but she poured out her heart to God, and God heard her, and she had a son. And then chapter 2 opens where she celebrates this great blessing from heaven, but interestingly, that occupies the first verse. The rest of what essentially is a hymn sets out the ways of God in the world. That is, Hannah doesn't just focus on God's blessing in her life. She sees that blessing as representative of what God does universally. He does it in this age, and he does it preeminently in the age to come. And that's what we're going to read about. And that's so very important that Hannah does that because if she doesn't do that, then, well, then she's got a problematic testimony. You've heard those before, I know. Uh, some years ago, when I was a member of a church, a man shared his testimony from the platform. He was in a wheelchair. He had been in a terrible accident, and they didn't expect him to live, but he lived, and, and he attributed it to the miracle, a miracle of God. And there he was in the hospital, paralyzed. They didn't think that he would ever use his body again, not his arms, his torso. He couldn't move anything. But he prayed, and he said, God healed him. He was still in a wheelchair as he was speaking, but he said, I'm trusting God that I'll walk again. And he told the story of how God helped him and strengthened him. And as I said, he kept saying, it was, it was God's miracle, and I wasn't going to doubt it. I believe that God's at work among us, aren't you? And I believe that God did it. He talked about how amazed the doctors were and the nurses were and the other patients were because he was in a ward where many people had been in accidents and they were unable to move. They were paralyzed. They weren't sure if they'd ever recover. And here he was, a miracle. 
Well, I was, I was inspired and encouraged a little, but I just couldn't get out of my head all the other patients that were there. The ones he said were amazed at what happened to him, and he left, and they were still there. I couldn't stop thinking about them. What about them? Are you ever like that when you hear some testimony of a great intervention of God? You think, what about all the others? Because as a matter of fact, when you look at the world, it doesn't all work out the way we might have thought. We, we think God is God and God's on his throne. Therefore, if you are righteous, you should thrive. And if you are unrighteous, well, you'll reap the consequences. That's what we would expect, but that's not always the way it is. And so, and so that's a troubling thing. Well, what's interesting about this hymn that Hannah, I think, sings, it doesn't explicitly say so, but it's clearly meant to be sung. The thing about this psalm that she sings is that it assures us that God, in his time and in his way, will see to it that all is put in place, that mishpat will prevail, that those who scorn God, turn from him, have no time for God, though they be high and lifted up, they will be brought down. It also says that those who are lowly, meaning those who are faithful and yet, and yet seemingly abandoned by God, will not be abandoned forever, but they will be raised up. Because God is a God not just of grace, but also justice, and he seeks to put all things right. That's what this passage says, but we have to read it carefully because it's easy to misunderstand. So let's just start reading it through together, starting at verse 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance or your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And then she turns and speaks to whoever might be listening. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. You see this great reversal that God is lowering those who are elevated and elevating those who are in lowly places. Now, he's not doing this arbitrarily. It'll become clear in a moment. This is God bringing down who we might call the high and mighty, the wicked, 
who seem to prosper, and elevating the righteous poor who seem to be forgotten. Otherwise, surely God would take no pleasure in taking a woman who has had children and causing her to pine away. He takes no pleasure in saying, well, you're full of food now, you're going to lack. That's not what's being said. What's being said is God will bring judgment on the earth. He is a God who knows, and he is a God who weighs deeds. Then look, verse 8, middle of the verse, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, that last verse has caused a lot of discussion among scholars because at the time of Hannah's singing this psalm, there was no king in Israel. And so there's been a lot of discussion of how this verse even comes about. But what many people think is what you have here is a certain prophetic insight in what is to come. The king would be raised up by God, and the king's purpose was to ensure it was to ensure mishpat, to ensure that justice was done. Sometimes kings were relatively faithful in doing that. Sometimes they weren't so faithful at all. But none of them were perfect. And so what you have here, I think, is actually more than just a prediction about the king of Israel. It talks about the king as the anointed one. The anointed one was known as a son of God. Did you know that? The king of Israel was often called the son of God. Not because the king was thought to be divine, but because the king represented God on earth. The king was the son of God. The anointed one is the Messiah. And I think what you have here is a reference to Messiah. Because you notice in verse 10, it says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. When is that going to happen? That's going to happen at the end of history, not in history, at the end of history. God's going to judge the ends of the earth. And then it says, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I think the messianic king, that's what it's talking about, the anointed one. It's at that time when a Messiah is elevated that God is going to bring about justice in the earth. The high and mighty brought down, the humble elevated up. And so who is that Messiah? Well, the anointed one, Messiah in Hebrew, is known as Christ in Greek. Christ means the anointed one. Jesus Christ is the son of David. He is the ideal king of Israel. He is the son of God. He is the representative of the father on the earth. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the day is coming when the first will be last and the last will be first. How often did he say that? He said it again and again. The first will be last and the last will be first. There will be a great reversal. That's exactly what Hannah is singing about. A great reversal. 
where those who seem to be successful, wealthy, prominent, in fact, they're all those things. They don't just seem to be, they are all those things. People who are praised, people who are emulated. When people of such standing who nevertheless know nothing of God, they who are first will be last. But then there are many others Many others who love God with all their heart, but they're not sure where the next meal's coming from. They are last, but they will be first. That's what Jesus said. That's what Hannah is singing about. So if you look here in the middle of verse 8, for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. What that's referring to is the moral order that God has established. God created the world And he established a moral order, and he upholds that moral order, but he does allow human beings to violate it. That's what I've already talked about. He allows us to violate it, to disturb the goodness of the world, to violate mishpat, to destroy shalom. He allows that to happen for a time. But here's what God does. He is still God. He is still on his throne. He knows what's happening. He weighs the deeds of human beings. And from time to time, God acts. From time to time, God judges the wicked. And God elevates the righteous. Now, everybody here knows what I mean by wicked and righteous, right? I'm talking from the language of this passage, the wicked and the righteous. But everybody here understands that if you really want to get right down to it, none of us are sinless. None of us are righteous. We all deserve judgment. We get that. So when the Bible talks about wicked, it's just not talking about people who are especially bad. We're talking about people who harden their heart in pride against God and reject God and choose their own way. And when we talk about the righteous, we're not talking about people that are so upright that God just has to acknowledge their goodness. We're talking about people who know that they're sinners and they're poor in spirit and they claim nothing for themselves, but they humble themselves before God and ask him to be their God. They are therefore right with God, which is what it means to be righteous. So God, from time to time, intervenes, and he humbles the high and mighty, and he raises up the lowly. That's what he did for Hannah. That's what he did for Hannah. That's what he did for that broken man in the hospital who thought he'd be paralyzed the rest of his life. But what about the others. What about the, the, so many who seem to prosper, not just for a long time, but for their entire life, and they die with honor, and they've had everything, and they despise God. What about them? And what about the person? I was talking to a person two weeks ago. She said, I don't know why. I don't know why we're so poor. She's talking about herself and her son. I don't know why we're so poor. It's hard. But you know, God blesses us in so many ways, and God takes care of us. He's blessed them through people in this church and through this church. 
But she says, I'm just poor. And you know, it's interesting when she said that, it just stood out to me. And I think in part because there was no ambiguity about it. You know, she is poor. She's poor. And she said it. No ambiguity. I don't know why I'm poor. And so, so people in this church have helped her, and, and this church has helped her, and she's, she's grateful for that. But, but we can't change the dynamic of the whole world. She's poor. She may finish her course having always been poor. So what about someone like that? Well, that's where you see this passage really pushes us into the future because Hannah says, after having received God's blessing, God raised her up. She says, God is still God. There's no one like God. He brings down some and raises up others. And he's lifted up her horn, which means he has elevated her in strength and glory. And she glories in what God has done. That's the way God is. And that's the way God works in the world. But not always in every instance until the end. Notice how it says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And so I was talking to this lady, and she said, you know, I don't know why we're poor, but I feel like I'm rich in the Lord. And, and every day, God shows that he loves us, and he's taking care of us, and I know that I'm going to be with him. And I thought to myself when she said it, I didn't say anything. It would just seem so... I don't know, so self-referential to say something at that point. But I thought to myself, you know, she is going to be first and I'm going to be last. That's what I thought. I thought, you know, in the church world, just by virtue of what I think God's called me to, the virtue of the fact I'm standing right up here talking in public, you hear me, people online hear me. There's a certain prominence I have. I'm not exaggerating that. I'm not a big shot. I don't think I am. I get that. But compared to her, there'd be a lot of people who would probably assume, oh, yes, you know, you're really serving God. You're going you're gonna to have a great place. I'm telling you, I'm not not compared to her. I just, I just know it. First thing I thought, because God doesn't judge the way we judge. We focus on such superficial nonsense, don't we? Don't we? And we live for that nonsense. We, we, we chase our lusts, and we're so determined to gain things for ourselves and it never dawns on us the day's coming when God's going to judge and everything will correspond to reality. Which means this little lady who prayed her son out of intensive care when he wasn't supposed to live and God answered her prayer. This little lady who's lived poor her whole life but has lived for Jesus her whole life 
She's a Bible-quoting machine. This little lady's going to be lifted up. Of course, God judges. He'll worry about all that. But it's a reminder to us all, is it not? God is going to judge. Now, this means a number of things. First of all, it means you don't have to get all worked up when the world doesn't seem to work as you think it ought to. This passage heals cognitive dissonance. Have you ever heard that term before, cognitive dissonance? It's when, it's when you have a certain belief and you expect certain things to happen because of that belief. In other words, this is the way the world works as you understand it. So you expect the world to correspond to your expectations, and then it doesn't. Now you don't know what to do. Classic case, there was a group in the 19th century that believed Jesus Christ was going to return at a particular day of a particular year. That was their belief. They expected him to come. He didn't come. Cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Suddenly, things were all confused. They didn't know what to think. They were so disturbed. Cognitive dissonance. That's when everything doesn't, is, seems to be in disorder. How can God allow the disorder? There should be no cognitive dissonance for a Bible student because we know that God will put it right, but ultimately, not until that day when he judges the ends of the earth. So if things seem to be going wrong and there's injustice everywhere, we don't like it. We should work against it. We pray against it. We, we seek God to intervene, but we know that it won't be overcome until that day. Don't get angry with God. Don't doubt God because things don't seem to correspond to your expectation. Go to the Word and you'll see what God promises is going to happen. There's another thing about this when you realize this is you live in hope. You live in hope. So many people are hopeless because they think they're fated to be on the losing side of life. I bet it'd be a surprise if we did some poll and everybody was honest. <laughs> That's what would surprise us, everybody being honest. But if we did a poll, just straw poll in this room, I bet we'd be surprised how many of us have this sense that we're destined for some of the, some of the problems that we have. We're, we're fated to it. We'll never overcome it. It's the family we were born into. It's the experiences we've had. We're just defective. Life doesn't work for us. We just, we just struggle so much. As a matter of fact, that isn't true. For reasons we don't fully understand, God has allowed the world to not exactly spin out of control. He's upholding the moral order, but he's allowed a lot of disorder. And God intervenes. So you are not fated to be on the losing side of life. That is not the case. God knows and God hears prayer. Hannah shows us that. This little humble woman calling out to God of the God of the universe, and he answers, you are not destined to fail. And what's more, you can serve God and trust him 
And not be lured away by the temptation to secure your own life and your own future. Sometimes we are. See, we, we lose trust in God and we think, you know what? If anyone's going to take care of me, I'm going to have to take care of me. And then you start making all kinds of compromises because you want that relationship. You want it to last. You want that business to succeed or whatever the case may be, all kinds of compromises. You want to be in this group because you really feel like, like you're something if you're in this group. And if, if you act like a Christian, you live like a Christian, you'll be excluded from that group. That's so many temptations that lure us. It's because we think that we've got to establish ourselves in some kind of pecking order. Or we think there are goods that we have to snatch after, not knowing that God will hear our prayers and he will answer. And he may not give us exactly what we ask for, but the day is coming when we, he will give us far more than we could imagine. And then there are righteous people who are not proud and haughty. They might be in high places, very successful, maybe even wealthy, prominent. And God has raised them up. So this passage doesn't threaten them with judgment. They're seeking to follow God. But here's what it does do. It reminds them that they're not where they are because they're all that. They're where they are. They are where they are because God has raised them up. Have they worked hard? Maybe they have worked hard, but who gave them the ability to work? Who gave them the opportunities? Who gave them the privileges? It all comes from God. What talent do you have? It came from God. And so what this passage reminds us of is that God is God, and we're answerable to God, and he's the one who rules. And so we should never be proud. We should be thankful and merciful. Thankful because God has been good to us. He has, he has caused us to thrive, and we say, God, I know no matter what I've done, it all ultimately depends on your goodness. Thank you. Thank you. But then also, because I'm grateful, I'm also merciful. I see others. I meet someone who says, I don't know why we're poor. And you think, you know, God's given so much to me. Let me help someone else. This morning, we've got a pretty sizable group of our members who are over at Church Under the Bridge. They're feeding them breakfast this morning over the church, participating in the worship. We've, we've had groups go before. We've got members who are serving in lots of different ministries in this city. I mean, there's hardly a Christian ministry in this city where we don't have some members that are involved. And, and, and if you allow me just to be proud of our church a minute, I'm proud of that. It's, it's, not, it's not proud of me or the staff. We haven't done it. It's just our members on their own doing that. And it just, I'm just so grateful for that and proud of our members for doing that. But see, that's part of it, to realize that everything we have is a gift. Thank you, God. Now, how can I pass that along to someone else? And then finally, and I'm closing now, but finally, there is one other reminder because there are some people who feel strong, who don't feel their need of God. And they think they pretty much have it under control. And this passage and the teaching of Jesus, the last will be first, the first will be last, is a warning to them. 
a warning that there will be a day of judgment, that God will balance the books. You know, we, we, we don't really like this idea of a day of judgment. I've got to tell you, I don't really like the idea of a day of judgment. I really don't. I struggle with it sometimes. But when I just get logical about it for a moment, I realize that if God is on the side of good, he has to be against evil. And sometimes there is no salvation except there's judgment on the oppressor. And sometimes the person that you might want to save refuses to be saved. There are all sorts of reasons why there's a judgment, but the Bible says there will be a judgment. The first will be last, the last will be first. That's something to consider, for all of us to consider, and all of us to pray about. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grace you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the one exalted and lifted high, the one before whom we will one day stand. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust the righteousness of your judgments. And Lord, we thank you that you will put all things right. And that even today, Lord, though it's, it's not always clear to us how you're working, we do see that you, you bless your people. We do see that you judge those who oppose your ways. And Lord, we take that as a sign of what is yet to come. Father, we get focused on so many things. We worry about the world as if, as if this world will be anything other than the world. We lose our, our confidence in you. God, help us restore our confidence. Help us to remember that you are still God. And Lord, we pray that you would, you would help us when we feel broken and in need, and you would humble us when we feel strong. We pray that you would lift us up when we're in the dust, and we pray that we would remain grateful and humble when you have placed us in a a wide and good place. And may you stir every heart, Lord, to be completely yielded to you this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.